Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Um, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Acts chapter 13. We are continuing in our teaching series in the book of Acts that we've entitled Acts, the Gospel Unleashed. And the title of my message this morning is Missing the Offer. Now, I have a question for you. Have you ever missed an offer? George, have you ever missed an offer? Way too many. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever been given an opportunity, but at the time you did not realize what it was worth, and so you let it slip through your fingers, you let it go, and you lived to, to regret it? Um, Maybe it was a relationship that you uh, had an opportunity with. Someone was interested in you, but at the time you weren't interested in them. And then later you look back and go, what was I thinking? Or maybe it was a job offer that you turned down that you wished you hadn't. A piece of real estate that you could have purchased at a low price and now it's worth way much more had you purchased it. Or maybe it was an opportunity to be a part of something uh, someone asked you to be a part of something, and you declined it, and now you're regretting it. I remember when I was a senior in high school, the varsity basketball coach came to me at the end of football season and said, hey, will you play for us, play basketball? Now, it wasn't because I was a great basketball player, but it was because I could foul. I was known as the hatchet. My uh, JV basketball season, uh, I fouled out in a minute and 41 seconds. Uh, <laughs> I'm not making that up. I think, I, I think that's still the school record at Reynolds. You can check. At any rate, but, you know, I was like, man, that was embarrassing. I am not doing that again. So I declined the offer, and they went on to win the state championship that year. I still regret not having that ring. But, uh, you know, it can be painful when you think about opportunities that you've missed. And, um, but there's one uh, mishap that has happened in life that, It makes my stomach sick every time I think about it, but it's not one that I made. Uh, It's one that I actually shared with the ladies uh, back in February, earlier this year, when we were doing Reach Kids training. But it's such a great example. I've got to share it because it applies to today's message. But um, back in uh, April 1st, 1976, there were three men who came together. You'll see their picture up here on the screen. Um, Most of us know the guy on the left. Who is that? Steve Jobs. Who, does anyone know who the one in the, in the middle is? Steve Wozniak. Now, how about the guy on the, the right? Nobody knows, right? His name is Ronald Wayne, and back in 1976, these three men came together and they formed Apple. Now, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak had 45% of the company apiece, which was 90%, and Ronald Wayne owned 10%. Well, 12 days after they signed the contract, Wayne came back and said, you know what, I want to go a different direction, so I'm going to sell back my 10%. No, I'm not even in the story yet. So he sold sold it back for $800. Yeah, exactly. Now, if he had that 10% today, it would be worth $100 billion. Um. Now, uh, that's not the end of the story. Uh, Later in the 1990s, he had the original contract that he had signed. 
and he decided to sell that for $500 to somebody. Well, in 2011, that same contract was sold at auction for $1.6 million. So, you know, uh, that it makes me sick every time I think about it because he uh, missed an offer. Now, if, if, you, if you interview him, or I've, I've seen interviews where he actually says that was the best decision he made for himself um, because of all the stress and the things that would have been uh, associated with that. But for me, I'm like $100 billion. That's crazy. But um, he didn't realize at the time what he had been offered. He didn't realize what he had in his hands, and he let it slip through his fingers. And, you know, that's common for all of us. Um, we all have a bent. We all have a tendency to miss what's most important in life. Uh, young people can miss out on the gift of having a free education. Instead of applying themselves we can, as young people, be complaining, why do I have to go to school? Why, why, do I, why do I have to do this? Missing out that this is free education. Parents, we can get caught up in life and what's going on and miss being there for our children when they are growing up. Uh, it could be that you're spending when you should be saving and investing. We all are subject to missing what's most important. And when it comes to eternal matters, as disciples of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews chapter 2 warns us, he says, you've got to pay closer attention to what you have been given, lest you drift away from it. This is something that has been going on since the beginning of man, missing what's most important for what is not as important, missing what that which has eternal value. And so that's what today's message deals with. And in this passage, we're going to see that the gospel is continuing to advance throughout the world. Last week, Pastor Terry told us that Barnabas and Paul were commissioned to go out on a mission trip. They're still out on this mission trip, and they've got a team with them. And there's two types of people that we're going to see in this passage this morning. Two types of people, those who see the value see the value of the offer, see the, the worth of Christ, and they appropriately respond. And then we're going to see another group who miss the offer because they don't see the value. And so what I want to do is I want to go through the passage together, and then at the end, I've, uh, if you've got one of these uh, connect cards, not connect cards, what are these called? Weeklies. Uh, on the back, there's going to be some uh, questions that you can fill out that you can take back with you. If you don't have one of these, uh, you can raise your hand and we will have someone bring you uh, one of these. But this is something that you might want to use at the end of, this, of the message. Um, <clears throat> but the thing that I want to make sure is that, at the, at, at, that I want to make sure this morning is that we can walk out of here knowing that we are not going to miss the offer. We're not going to miss what's most important. And so let's, with that in mind, let's pick up Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 3. Now, Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, this is the same 
John that we know as John Mark. His mom was the one that owned the house. If you remember back in chapter 12, when Peter was in prison, it says that the church was praying. It was her house that they were praying in. And this is the same John Mark that we believe wrote the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And he was also the cousin of Barnabas. But um, last week's passage teaches us in verse 5 that Mark had come along on this trip to assist and to be a helper of Barnabas and Paul. But for some reason, and it doesn't go into clear reasons why, he decided to leave, and it says he goes back to Jerusalem. Now, Lord willing, when we get to chapter 15, we're going to see that whatever the reason was, Paul said this, this was unacceptable. He saw Mark as being a deserter, that he had been left by um, He had left the group when they needed him. And so Barnabas is wanting to bring him in chapter 15 on another journey. And Paul's like, no, 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 we're not doing that. And a great division comes between these two. We'll see that later on. But the the point I want to make here is that John Mark at this time doesn't seem to be ready for what lies ahead of him. And so he's not mature enough. And I don't think he's uh, in a place to endure hardship of ministry. And so he left the team. In verse 14, it says, But they, the rest of the team, went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. We see here that Paul and the the team valued the physical gathering of the body. So they find the local synagogue, and they go in, and they go to what we would call church. Verse 15 says, After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogues, synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, somehow the rulers in that synagogue realized that Paul was a rabbi. I don't know if it was the way he was dressed, but somehow they knew that he was a rabbi. And so they are following the custom of their time that uh, if there's an, a visiting rabbi, they would often ask him to come and you know, say a word of encouragement. And they say, they say, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And that's all Paul needed, right? Paul is always prepared. He's always ready. He's always eager to share a message. Not just a message, the message. He is ready to share the gospel. And that's uh, what he's going to do in in verses 16 through 41. This is his first recorded sermon that we have in the Word of God. Now, this isn't his first sermon. He's probably been in ministry for about 10 years by the time this happens. But this is his first sermon. And there's three sections. I want to break this sermon down in three sections for us to look at. The first section is verses 16 through 25, and Paul is going to recount what they already know, what the Jews already know. In verses 26 through 37, he's going to tell them what they need to know. And then in verses 38 through 41, he will tell them what they need to do with what they now know. And that's kind of a progression of of how uh, we should be sitting through sermons as we're listening. There's things we already know. Uh, There's things that we need to know or be reminded of. And then before you leave a sermon, you need to to know what God was wanting to communicate to you, uh, what you can can grow in or what you can apply. So let's start with uh, verses uh, 16 through 25. We're going to look at what they already know. 
And as we're going to see in this first section, Paul is going to uh, do two things. Number one, he's going to recount Israel's history. He's going to begin with captivity in Egypt, and he's going to quickly move all the way to John the Baptist. Um, This was a, a practice among the Jews. When they would teach, they would recount the history of Israel. Because why? They wanted to bring encouragement. They wanted to remind the people that our God is with us and he's for us. So they they would be reminded of how God came to their aid back then so that they would be encouraged now and for the future. This is a great discipline that we need to practice also, remembering how God has been with us us in the past, how he's with us now in the present, even when it doesn't feel like it, and he's going to be with us in the future. So that's the first thing that Paul is going to do. He's going to recount Israel's history. Secondly, he is going to contrast God's grace and God's faithfulness to Israel, even though they are not faithful. So we're going to see God's grace contrasted with Israel's failure to respond. And so uh, let's pick up with verse 16. So Paul, okay, remember now, uh, the guy said, if you've got anything to say, stand up and say it. So verse 16, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, listen. Now I want to, we're going to get through this passage, I promise you, but I want to stop here on that word, listen. That uh, word, listen, the Greek word for that is akuo, and What it means, it means more than just to sit there and like passively listen. It means to believe or to listen with your mind, to hear a message, then to let it go to your heart, to believe it, and then to respond. So hear with your mind. That's how faith always begins, with your mind. It goes to your heart, and it produces action. And that's what that word means there, um, to hear to believe, and then to respond on the basis of what you've heard. Basically, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, what I'm about to say is important, and it's true, and it requires a response. And this is a reminder to us that our natural human tendency is to listen passively without seriously taking to heart what we've heard and applying it. That can be what we do each week. That's what we will do each week if we come here and we go, hmm, That was a good message, but we don't take it to heart and apply it. And that's what Paul is warning against here. Jesus does that also in Luke 8, 18. He says, take care then how you hear. That's the same Greek word that Paul used there for listen. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. For to the one who has, more will be given. What does Jesus mean by that? What he's saying there is, to those who hear and listen and believe and respond, more will be given. God will give you the next step of where you need to go. Because he's given us a step every time we get into the word, he is trying to teach us. He's trying to bring us forward and grow us forward to take a step. Now, if we don't take that step, then he's not going to give us any more. And that's something that we need to understand uh, as individuals, and that's something that we need to understand as a church. Those who are 
successful, I'm going to use the word successful not in a worldly sense, but in a spiritual sense, those who are uh, successful in the Christian walk, who walk wisely, those who are fruitful, those who are productive, those who are effective are not there by accident. It does not happen, success does not happen by accident. They have been faithful to listen, then to believe, and then to respond. And Jesus uh, and Paul are basically saying, we need to be awake, we need to listen to what is about to be shared, because your eternity rests upon your response to this message. And it's important for us to remember that the Lord holds us responsible for what we have been entrusted with. And uh, so we need to pay attention lest we drift away from what we've been given. Verse 17 says, Paul continues, The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. uh, Paul is highlighting God's power, what God did for them in, uh, in Egypt. And for 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Paul is highlighting the patience of God with his people. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. Paul is highlighting the grace of God. He gave them the land not because they deserved it, but because he is gracious. Verse 20 says, All this took about 450 years, and after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, look at this, who will do all my will. What does God desire from his people? He desires a people who... Hear, believe, and obey, who do what he desires. That's what he desires from his people. Verse 23 says, Of this man's offspring, speaking of David, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he, what? Promised. As he promised. What's Paul doing here? He's highlighting God's faithfulness. When God makes a promise, he cannot lie. He will keep the promise. We can trust. Paul is saying we can trust God. He promised it, and now he's brought it to pass in Jesus. Verse 24 says, Before his coming, John had proclaimed, before his coming, speaking of Jesus, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Jesus. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. John is saying the long-awaited Messiah is here. And so Paul highlights in the first section of his message the grace of God by reminding them the Jews, what they already knew or what they had already been told. And then in the second part, he moves to what they need to know, beginning with verse 26. 
Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. Now, in the following verses, Paul is going to lay out what this message is, which is what? What's the message we call it? The gospel, right? He is going to lay out the gospel. And it is extremely important, church, that when we talk about the gospel, that we don't, when we share the gospel, that we don't get it mostly right. We, we can't get it mostly right. We need to get it totally right. This is not um, a message of the church. The gospel is not a message. It is the message of the church. Week after week, day after day, the message of the church is the message that Paul is preaching here in this passage. And um, we need to handle it with extreme care. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men. That word men there is, means mankind. So entrust it to men and women and teens, and young people, and older people, and trust it to faithful men, faithful believers, who will, look, be able to teach it to others also. The gospel is handed down from generation to generation, and it's got to be 100% pure. Um, If you take gasoline and you put 20 gallons of gasoline in your tank, your gas tank, if you have that much money, and you can put 20 uh, 20 gallons in there, if it is 99.99% pure, but is 0.01% sugar, guess what's happening to that car? It's getting locked up. It is going to be totaled. It will not move forward. In the same way, in a similar way, if we get the gospel 99.999% right and put 0.01% in there of something else, what, guess what's, what it's going to do? It's going to lock up the church. It's going to total the church. It's going to shut us down. So we've got to fight to keep the gospel the main thing. We've got to keep it pure. We've got to keep it unadulterated. And if I were to take one of these microphones this morning, and have you come up here and stand you right up here and handed you the microphone and said, hey, would you share the gospel with everyone? I want you to think, I want you to think right now, could you do that right now? Now, that, is a, that would be a, a, a scary thing. Your answer might be no right now. But before you leave here, I want you to be able to do that, okay? And here's where you can find the gospel. We're going to read about it in just a second in this passage. But 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 1 through 6, Paul clearly gives a concise um, uh, description or gives the gospel clearly to make sure we don't miss it. And I want to go through that real quick with us. With us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 through 6, it's uh, 15 verses 1 through 6. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So that's verses uh, 1 through 2. He says, you guys are believing what I gave to you. But look what he says in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Do you see that? I also, I received this 
from God, and then I gave it to you. And this is what's of first importance. Number one, that Christ died for our sins. That is the first thing you've got. There's, there's two main things in the gospel that, that you've got to see. Number one is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Now, the truth that Christ died, if you stop there, that Christ died, that in and of itself is not good news for us, is it? Because, you know, we all are going to die. Everybody dies because of sin. Um, and if you die because of sin, and you don't have your sins forgiven, that is a horrible place to be. Um, first, uh, Romans 1 verse 18 says that the wrath of God, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul is saying in, in Romans 1 18 that when we sin, uh, it, it's like taking a, a beach ball. If God's uh, glory is a beach ball, it's like taking it and pushing it down into miry water and trying to hold down who God is by our sin, by our unrighteousness. It, it suppresses the glory of God. It, it hides the truth of who God really is, and it distorts the view that people have of God. When, when God is the God of life, when God is the, is the giver of life, if we, when we sin, it brings death. And so Paul says, you know, because of that rebellion, the wrath of God is coming. And because we have rebelled against God and sinned, we deserve, uh, hear this, we deserve the wrath of God. Um, we are not victims. When it comes to God's wrath, we're not victims, we're culprits. Uh, because we all have willingly rebelled, we have willingly sinned, and so we deserve to die. Amen? We deserve that. But here's the good news. Notice that Paul says that Christ died, not for his sins, but he died for our sins. Um, he was punished for what we deserve. Our punishment has been taken by him. And we, we, we can't miss this. This is the heart of the gospel. There's two ways that we can pay for our sin. Two ways. Number one, you can pay for it yourself, which means that you have to take the wrath of God, which means that you will suffer in eternity. In, the, in what the Word of God calls a lake of fire and torment for what we deserve. That's the one way, one way, but there's a better way, and that's that you can let someone else pay for your sin. And that's what this is teaching here. There is someone else, and there's only one who could do that, and that's Jesus, because he was fully God, he was fully man, perfect, and he died for us. Past sins, present sins, future sins, all forgiven because, number one, Christ died for our sins. And this is good news for all of us who believe. Secondly, in verse 4, Paul says that he was buried or buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. 
In other words, number one, he died. Number two, he was raised again. Death, resurrection. The death and the resurrection. What's the importance of the resurrection? Lots of things. Uh, I think the first thing that we see is that this proves that what he said was true. Jesus said, I'm going to die and rise again. Secondly, it shows that God accepted the sacrifice. Thirdly, he lives to live and empower us today. We don't pray to a dead uh, prophet. We pray to a risen Savior. When we pray, uh, Jesus is, is with us right now in our midst, through the Holy Spirit, through his presence. He hears everything we're, we're saying. When, we're, when you're lonely, you're not alone. He is with us. He is alive. He lives to empower us. So if you were to stand up here and share the gospel, two things. Number one, that Christ died for our sins. And number two, he was raised from the dead. That's the gospel that Paul doesn't want us to miss. And in verse uh, 5, he says, and, to, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So basically what he's saying is that this gospel that, that he was preaching during that time could be verified by people who were still alive. That's the gospel that we're believing. That's the gospel that we are uh, believing with our minds, with our hearts, which produces a response. Verse 27, let's go back to Acts now, and let's see how Paul preaches this message. Uh, for those who live in Jerusalem, he's speaking about the time of Jesus. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, because they did not recognize Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read, look at this, every Sabbath. Paul says, every Sabbath, the Bible the word of God was proclaimed in their, in their synagogues, but they didn't understand it. Therefore, they fulfilled them by condemning him. Therefore, they rejected him. They rejected Jesus, even though they were in the word. They knew the word, but they didn't know the word. They weren't listening in a way to respond. Verse 28 says, And though they found him in him no guilt... Worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. There, there's the death of the God. See the death right there? Jesus died. He was executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. They buried him. But God raised him from the dead. There's the resurrection. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. He's affirming that this, these things have been seen by many witnesses. So we see here that Paul continued throughout his ministry to preach the exact same gospel. Verse 32, he continues, he says, and we bring you the good news that God, uh, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm. And we're in uh, verses 34 through 37, Paul continues to show how Jesus' resurrection fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. And so, again, Paul begins with what they know, he moves to what they need to know, and then he closes with what they need to do with what they now know. And basically what he's giving is a choice, the choice of life, and the choice of death. And he says in verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
And by him, everyone who believes is freed, is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let's look at that real quick. Um, what could the law of Moses not free us from? That's what, what I want to answer right here. Because Jesus frees us from everything that the law of Moses cannot. Primarily, we're talking here about the moral laws, the, like the Ten Commandments. What could the law not free us from? Our sins. The law cannot free you from your sins. Now, I know I'm preaching to the church, but I want to remind us of this. The law cannot free us from our sins. The law is like a mirror that shows us our sins. And you know, when you stand in front of a mirror, the mirror cannot fix your problem. It can only point it out. Have you ever noticed that? I don't care how um, hard you try to be perfect by the law in your own strength. Uh, no matter how hard you try, the law, the mirror keeps going, nope, not good enough. Good enough. Nope, you failed here. Nope, keep trying. Paul says that in Galatians that the law is meant to be a tutor or a teacher. It's meant to teach us that we need a Savior. And that eventually we'll come to a point where we're like, I can't do it and you turned to Jesus for him to do what the law could not do, to free you from what the law cannot free you. And that word freed in uh, verse 39 is also translated as justified, which means to declare innocent. So you could read it, and by him everyone who believes is declared innocent. From everything from which you could not be declared innocent by the law of of Moses. So he shares the good news. He makes sure that they understand this is the only way. And look at verse 40. He ends with a warning. And this is something we all need to pay attention to. He says, beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Now, right here, Paul is quoting Habakkuk 1, verse 5. And Habakkuk was, uh, is known as one of, one of the minor prophets. And someone is a minor prophet in the Old Testament, not because uh, the message that they are giving is minor, that, that it's less meaningful. Basically, it's because it's shorter. The books are shorter than, say, like Isaiah or Jeremiah. The book of Habakkuk is three chapters. Go home and read it today. But um, in, this, uh, in this account, Habakkuk, it opens up with Habakkuk looking at uh, Judah and, and seeing the evil that's prospering in the land. And, and he's like, God, how long? How long are you going to let evil persist? How, are you, how long are you going to let sin reign? And God answers him in Habakkuk 1.5. And he says, I am doing a work in your days. And what he, do, what he says is, what I'm going to do is I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're going to come in and bring judgment upon uh, Judah because she has rejected my word. She has not listened. She has not listened and responded to my word. So this was a pronouncement of judgment. Every Jew that heard Habakkuk 1.5 knew that. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's reminding them again, don't let what happened to them 
be true of you. And so that's a, a, a warning to us too, right? That we would not miss the offer of salvation, that we would respond. And I love verse 42 because it's full of life. It says, as they went out, so the message is over, and as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. This reminds me of our church. Terry, doesn't this remind you of our church? Every time I step down, you're all like, no, no, more. Give us more. Bet. So anyway, but they are hungry. They're hungry. They're eager to learn. They want to know more. They want to respond to this truth that they're being taught. In verse 43, and it says, After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. This is just a picture of how Sunday mornings, a gathering, this is just part of it. The, the, the um, gardening and the harvesting happens not only here, but outside in the, in the world that we're living in. And so they spend time with Paul, and Barnabas and the team, and they, they're asking questions. And then verse 44 says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. There's lots of excitement. Um, there's lots of hope in here. The gospel is being heard. The, the gospel is being uh, responded to. And then verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. This is, Pastor Terry talked about this last week, these are counter-evangelists that are rising up. Um, Satan's agents that he brings about when the gospel is going forth. Verse 46 says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Jews, to those of us who are Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. This is the scariest part of this passage. There is a passive um, missing the offer, and then there's an aggressive or a, uh, a way that you do it that you're willfully rejecting. We've got to be careful of both. But they are willfully rejecting the message, And this is such a greater uh, missing the offer than selling 10% of Apple stock. Um, this is a, a message that if you reject it, you will bring judgment upon yourselves. And they, it says, uh, he says, you judge yourselves unworthy. And the reason that they are unworthy is because they are unwilling to believe the message. What makes us worthy of the gospel? Believing. Believing it. Believing the message. It's not the law of Moses as we've already spoken. It's believing it. Verse 47, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men in the city, of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Now, this is what we need to understand. When the gospel is rightly proclaimed, when it's rightly understood, when it's believed, and when it's acted upon, there will always arise counter-persecution. 
We need to understand that. And in verse 51, it says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. When you, when you shake off the dust in, um, in, the Old, in the New Testament or Old Testament, it's, it means we're breaking fellowship with you. Um, we're going to go elsewhere. And I love 52. It ends on a, a positive note. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That is good news, isn't it? That uh, the word of God could not be stopped. And uh, in closing here, there's two major truths uh, that are being communicated. Number one is that God graciously extends his offer of salvation to us. Um, This is a theme that is is expressed from the book of Genesis all the way to, to Revelation. That's the message of the gospel. God's like, I want you to come back to me. I want fellowship with you. Um, God desires to save mankind. That's the first message. Secondly, there's a warning. Be careful that you don't miss or reject this offer of salvation because we can hear and agree but not really be listening. We think we know what God is saying, but we're not really paying attention and taking heart to what is being said. Um, There's a tendency for me when I'm listening to think, huh, who needs to hear this message? And it's really right here. There's a tendency in man, in all of us, to think it's meant for somebody else but me. And so the question I want to end with this morning is this, how can you make sure that you don't miss or reject the offer. We need to know the answer to this, don't we? So if you have, if you have uh, the weekly on the back, there's some questions that uh, I've written down here. Um, questions that you can ask yourself. Here's what, what I'd also encourage. You might want to take this list home uh, with you and ask it to uh, whoever you live with, maybe your roommates, uh, your spouse, um, Somebody that you can ask these questions about yourself, because someone that's going to tell you the truth, too. So first one is how to keep from missing the offer is to, um, to ask this. Are you listening to respond? Are you listening to respond? That's the first thing that you need to be asking yourself. When you hear a message, are you asking, what do I need to do next? Are you staying awake? Are you like a servant waiting for their master to return home? Do you, do you regularly... When you spend time in the Word of God, do you uh, do it to respond to what God is saying? Secondly, uh, are you open to correction? Now, the answer to that for most of us is no, if we're going to be truthful. Yes. Uh, Listen to yourself when someone brings something to you. What's the first word that comes out of your mouth? No. No. That's what, that's what typically I have to fight against. When someone brings something to me, when Kelly brings something to me or my children bring something to me, the first thing I want to go is, no, no, it's, it's not me. It's you. So we've got to train ourselves to don't say no. Say, is this true? Are you open to correction? Or do you want, if you're going down the wrong way, do you want to know? That's another way to ask it. Are you open to correction? Second, uh, number three, do you make excuses or 
uh, take responsibility. When you look at your life, when you look at where you're at right now, when you see the things you don't like about your life, do you make excuses and blame other people and instead of taking responsibility for it? Uh, you know, it's my parents' fault. They were too strict. Or they weren't strict enough. Or it's my coach's fault. You know, if I'd had a better coach, I would have been playing in the NFL. Um, things like that. You're not taking responsibility for, well, you were lazy or you were a disrespectful child or whatever it was. You know, you're not taking full responsibility. Number four, are you continuing to grow? Are you continuing to grow? Something that Terry shared uh, about three or four weeks ago in one of his messages when he was uh, preaching on Antioch is put a stone in my shoe, what he said a few weeks ago. And he said this, you know, we're young, we're small, we're a small church. Like, a lot like Antioch is, but could, is it possible that God could use us greatly in the city of Asheville, that we could have an eternal impact like the church in Antioch did? And something in me went, yes, we can be that church. But then I started to think about it. And here's what I thought. You know what? We could be, but it's not going to happen by accident. That's what I, I was like. We've got to have the mindset that we want to grow individually and corporately. It's not going to happen as I said earlier, success doesn't happen by accident in anything. There's not somebody playing professional sports or a professional musician or a doctor or uh, whatever without there being hard work put into it. And why would we think that with the worldly things and not think that with the spiritual things? So if we're going to uh, con- continue to grow and be effective, we have got to ask the question, are we continuing to grow? Are we doing things that are that are Uh, meant to help us to grow. Number five, are you staying connected? Um, This is, goes with, uh, I would say goes without saying, but are you connected to a a body in a a way that causes you to want to grow? In a way that you're able to receive correction? We need to remember that we influence. We're influenced by whoever we're around or whoever we're not around. So our, and our lives impact one another. Number six, lastly, we need to um, ask what step do you need to take? What step do you need to take? And this is something that I hope that we will do on a weekly basis. You see there's a box there at the bottom of the card that says the takeaway. A lot of times when you're in a message, God will say something to you. You're like, yes, that, oh man, I need, to, I need to do that. And then you get up and we start talking and we walk away and you forget whatever it was. That little box down there, the takeaway, is where I would encourage you to write what that is that God put in your mind. A lot of times it may not even be what I was preaching on, but God triggers something in your mind that says, hey, this is where you need to, to deal with right here. I'd encourage you to write that down. What is the next step you need to take? And then take it today. Take it. Let's pray.